my identity is based on my father's DNA. I share the same blood and spirit of my elder brother, Jesus. That ought to excite you. Your heavenly father has put his DNA in you. You're just like him. The New Testament isn't a list of moral do's and don'ts. The New Testament is a picture through the life of Jesus of how you and I are to live in the Father's DNA. A big problem today is that many Christians see themselves as a foreigner. And we talked about that last week. The definition of foreigner is something that's spurious, irregular, inferior, or of questionable origin. The literal Greek rendering of that means one born out of legal wedlock or foreigner. In verse 1 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, which was our text from last week, the Apostle Paul wrote, be an imitator of God as dear children. You see, we have his DNA. So it's all about an attitude change. I am not a slave. I'm a son. I'm not a slave to disease. I'm not a slave to disorder. I'm not a slave to this world's economy. I'm not a slave to word curses. I'm not a slave to the various abuses. No, I'm neither a friend nor a follower. I am the child. I'm the son of the living God. Now, I believe in following God, and there's scriptures which would intimate the nuances of that and the value of that. Certainly, I realize the value of being the friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God. But for you and me, post the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's so much more than just being a follower of God, theologically embracing a moral list and trying our best to act like God. We don't have to act like him. We are him. Careful. Whoa, let me back up. I can just hear somebody turning off their computer right now after, after downloading the message and hearing me say that. Wait, don't turn it off yet. Let me explain. We are not God. We are not little gods. We are sons and daughters of Almighty God, and we have his DNA in us. And so to act like him should be just natural. It should come easy for us. You know, you can always tell when you're around an orphan, a foreigner. Just listen to how they talk. I can't. I shouldn't. I have to. Well, you know, this always happens to me. Well, it's flu season and I always get this. Well, I guess I'll have to live with this the rest of my life. Our talk gives away the fact that we really don't see ourselves as a child or a son, but rather we're still dealing with that orphan spirit, that foreigner spirit. 
The Holy Spirit had dropped this series called Imitator in my heart several weeks ago before all of the interesting headlines that are now making headlines. We have the thing that's happened with Bruce Jenner. We have the thing that happened just this week with the, um, I forget her name, Rachel Dolzell, the former head of the Spokane NAACP. She just resigned this week. Because she's a white woman, but she claimed to be black. For 20 years, she's been telling lies about her history and how she grew up and who her parents were. And her parents came before the camera and said, she's not black, she's white. We're white. Why would you lie about your identity like that? Then, of course, we have the horrible mass shooting that just took place this week back in North Carolina where nine, were, nine lives were taken by a young man who lost his identity. What we're talking about in this series about being an imitator is life and death. To not understand your origin, to not understand who you are in Jesus Christ, to not understand whose DNA makes up the very fiber of your being, your desires, where you're going in life, what you dream of accomplishing, to not understand the source of that is life and death. The issue with all of these various individuals who we are reading about in the headlines today, the issue with you, the issue with me, is that we have forgotten the power of the new birth that Jesus said, you must be born again. We have forgotten the power of what happened when we were born again. And there was literally an exchange of DNA. The Father took his DNA in that moment and put it inside of you. And you became his son. You became his daughter. Why would a believer ever say, I don't have enough, I can't make it? Why would a believer ever say, someday I, I hope it'll get better? Why would a believer ever say, I guess I'll just have to live this way the rest of my life? Why would a believer ever say, I hope someday this changes for me. Why would a believer ever say, you know, this always happens to me. Why would a believer who has God's DNA running through their blood, absolutely influencing, changing, transforming your very thoughts, your very desires and who you are and how you act. Why would a believer who's been born again ever say, well, you know, if it's the Lord's will, he can fill in the blank. Heal me is the popular one. Why would we ever say anything like that? 
The problem is we're still living in the reality of an old covenant. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about, but under the old covenant, they weren't born again. Under the old covenant, when people would reach for God and try to know God and try to appease God and have a relationship with God, it was under an old covenant, an old set of rules and an old system of law code, which the Bible says in the New Testament never can perfect you, never can transform you, never can make you right with God. It was a tutor meant to lead the people to Christ, but it could never transform them. It's pictured by Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Watch this. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, therefore one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. Verse 19, for by one man's obedience or disobedience, the many were made sinners. Why did Rachel feel that she needed to just assume a black identity when she was white? Because she doesn't understand what God did for her in the new birth on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or else she would never have to do that. Why did that young man go into that prayer meeting in that church in North Carolina and kill nine people? Because he doesn't understand. He doesn't have an identity that's situated in the DNA of the Heavenly Father. So he's accepted a fallen identity. The identity that Paul speaks of here. It's an identity that was foisted on the entire human race when Adam sinned. You don't have to claim it. You don't have to go out after it. You don't have to pursue it. All you have to do is be born and just grow up naturally without ever being taught the gospel, without ever having an encounter with the gospel that changes you and transforms you, and you will simply grow up into whatever identity your parents speak of or the world around you and those around you want you to have and claim you are. And believe me, according to Paul in Romans 5, it is fallen. It is without God. It is condemned. Death reigns in that identity. Death was reigning. Death is reigning in that young man's life. A 20-something who took the life of nine people. Death was reigning in that young man's life that, that caused him to be able to walk into that church, sit for an hour in the same Bible study with those people, even comment, and they commented, boy, we, we enjoy having you only for him to pull out a gun and take the life of nine of them, leaving one of them alive and said to them, I want you to be sure you tell everybody what you've seen here. Just this week, if you haven't read the headlines, that happened this week in North Carolina. And so from pulpits all across the nation, we are preaching today on the horrors of what happened and the need for us as a society to come together and sing and, 
be kind to one another. You can't be kind to one another outside of the DNA of the Heavenly Father. You can't love and embrace people who are different from you, who are a different race from you, who are a different color than you, who grew up desperately different than you. You you can't embrace them and love them with all your heart and bless and do good unless there's something from the Heavenly Father inside of you that's changed you and made you to be like Him. Let's go to our text. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out your mouths. Why do we always think that means cursing? Isn't that how you grew up understanding that scripture? That's what I was taught. Jeff, you're not supposed to curse. Don't say that. It has nothing to do with cursing. It has to do with the previous verses before it, which have to do with the Father's DNA of loving and forgiving. You see, what comes out your mouth gives away whether you have an orphan spirit, whether you're a foreigner. And he's saying, don't be a foreigner. Don't act like a foreigner. Change the way that you talk so that what you say out your mouth is blessing. it's, It's being spoken out of the DNA of God to bless and to encourage others. But only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may be or may give grace to those who hear. That's what we lack outside of Christ, outside of God's DNA. We lack the grace to bless. Don't cause grief to God's Ruach HaKadosh, for he has stamped you as his property until the day of final redemption. Complete Jewish Bible translation. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now the mirror translation of that adds this. People must feel safe in your conversation. Boy, what a, what a measuring stick for us to ask ourselves this morning. Do people feel safe in my conversation? Do people feel safe when they're around me listening to me? Do you know for you to take what you say and submit it to the DNA of God, to the Word of God, to kindness, gentleness, meekness, grace, you're actually submitting your words to the DNA of the Father that's in you. There should never be a time where people don't feel safe in our conversation. It's our goal that when people are around me, they feel safe in my conversation. I love that translation. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, because of the things that I said in the previous several verses, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering a sacrifice to God so powerful was this 
new birth that Jesus purchased for us. That it's called redemption. You and I have been redeemed. Now what does redeemed mean? If you're redeemed, then you're being redeemed or put back in something that you were originally deemed. Oh, you're not following me. If you're redeemed, then what were you originally deemed? You can't be redeemed unless you were first deemed. Look at your neighbor and say, I, I was deemed. But I lost that. And I needed to be redeemed. <laughs> so powerful is this new birth that in the New Testament, it's spoken of as a redeeming us. To what? Do you remember in the book of Genesis when this all started? God made Adam. He made the woman and brought her to Adam, and Adam looked at her and said, Ooh la la. No, that's, that's, not, in, that's not in the translation. I, it's probably somewhere there in Hebrew if you pull it out and dig for it. But he said, Wow, <laughs> this came out of me. Nice job, God. And then listen, he deemed them rulers of the earth. Didn't he? Remember the story? Rule, take dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds in the air. And whatever you name them, that will be their name. I give it all to you. I deem you as ruler over all your circumstances. You rule in your area of influence and over all the earth, and whatever you name things, that's what they'll be called. It's yours. I deem you that. And by the end of chapter 3, Adam is giving it all away through a decision that he made. And there's a fall. And Adam and Eve become fallen creatures from what they were deemed originally. Long story short, the whole Bible story brings us to the point where Jesus dies on a cross, is buried, and rises again the third day. Why? To redeem us. Back to what? Back to a relationship with God that in the beginning was perfect. Genesis says that God used to walk into the garden in the cool of the day personally and have fellowship, talk to audibly Adam and Eve. Wow! <laughs> and they lost all of it, that being the worst thing. But Jesus has redeemed us. See, this system of laws throughout the Old Testament 
was just a tutor, just a temporary fix to hold the people of Israel over until Christ could be born. It was never meant to transform or redeem. It was meant just to capture a people for a period of generations long enough until the Jesus, until Jesus could be birthed. And all of the law code and all the morals and all the rituals and all the sacrifices never perfected, never redeemed, never placed any of the children of Israel back into right relationship with God like originally Adam and Eve had it in the garden. But Jesus, Jesus redeemed us. Jesus has put you and me back into the garden of a personal relationship with him where we rule and reign now in this earth in all of our circumstances. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen to me. Never pray, God, make me more zealous. Lord, make me more desirous of you. Never pray that. That's part of your DNA. Read it again. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawness or lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous. I'm not trying to be zealous. I am zealous for the Lord. It's in my DNA. I don't have to stop being lawless. I don't want to be lawless anymore. It's not in my DNA to disobey the Lord. That's why the New Testament is not simply a repeat or a rewrite of moral law code. The New Testament is a picture of how the perfect Christ lived and then gives us the expression of how our life will be when we simply live out the Father's new birth in our life. Through his DNA. Now Paul said, because of Adam's fall, all fell. All became sinners. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus Christ, all have been made righteous. You mean that person, my co-worker? <laughs> Do you mean that neighbor who lives across the fence from me? No way. Do you mean Aunt Bessie and Uncle Joe? Do you know how they're living? Do you know the kind of things they do? Yes, even them. <laughs> In Christ... All humanity is delivered. In Christ, 
all, just like in Adam, all died, all received a death sentence. Didn't have to do anything to get it. In, in, in Adam, all died, all became fallen, all became subject to the most repugnant, evil kind of things that can come out of the heart of man, which is why that young 20-something-year-old man walked into that church this week and took the life of nine people. Do you understand? That's what death does. When death goes to seed, that's what death does. When it's unchecked. And so we have laws and we have morals and we have the Ten Commandments and we have government today. And we have jails and we, and we have a police force. Why? To check the spirit of death so that it doesn't run rampant in society. But dear ones, do you understand putting somebody in jail will never change their DNA? Do you understand that sending somebody through classes will never transform their minds and their DNA to be something? that God wants them to be only the new birth, only being found in Christ can truly transform a human heart. And so let me read to you Paul's words from Romans chapter 5. Again, the same verses, verse 17, 18, and 19. But listen to them from the mirror translation. Paul says, if spiritual death saw the gap in one sin and grabbed the opportunity to dominate mankind because of one man, how much more may we now seize the advantage to reign in righteousness in this life through that one act of Christ who declared us innocent by his grace. Grace is an out of all proportion in superiority to the transgression. The conclusion is clear. It took just one offense to condemn mankind. One act of righteousness declares the same mankind innocent. And he includes Philip's translation here. We see then that as one act of sin exposed the whole race of men to condemnation, so one act of perfect righteousness represents all men freely acquitted in the sight of God. Verse 19, the disobedience of one man exhibits humanity as sinners. The obedience of another man exhibits humanity as righteous. Verse 20, the presence of the law made no difference. Instead, it merely highlighted the offense. But where sin increased, grace superseded it. Spiritual death provided sin its platform and its power to reign. But now grace has taken over sovereignty through righteousness to introduce unthreatened life under the lordship of Jesus Christ over us. Redeemed to the place of sonship, rule, and abundance in the extravagant love of God. That's you. Eric, you have been redeemed by the extravagant love of God. You had nothing to do with it, nothing to say about it. You had no decision in the matter. Through Jesus Christ, when he came, lived his life, then chose to hang on a cross for you, for me, chose to go into that grave, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. Through that, Eric, you now can partake 
of the DNA of the Father. You can be born again and become in his very likeness and live completely free from the effects of death, and that includes now in this lifetime, in your finances, in your body, in your relationships, in your marriage. We put up with so much. We become foreigners when we've been born again, repeating what the spirit of death says that we used to belong to, that we used to be bound by, instead of living in the life and the new birth and the transformational joy of a life that's surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. So in this, I stop striving to obtain by effort what he has already made me to be by simple faith in this new creation. Oh, what extravagant love. Would you say this with me? I'm an ordinary person with extraordinary power. You don't have to be extraordinary to, to get this. You don't have to be something special. You don't have to hail from a special family heritage. You don't have to be a certain color. You don't have to have a certain level of education. You may have just lost your house. And God will take you. And God will take me. And he places us in his family. And he places his spirit within us. And he says, now, imitate me. Imitate God. I've given you my DNA. I've changed you. You know, part of our problem as Christians is that we think we're simply still sinners, just saved by grace. And that until we get to heaven, there really won't be any change. So let's eke out a living here on earth until we get over there. Dear ones, when you get over there, you won't need what I'm preaching. Thank you, Lord. What Jesus did and accomplished on the cross and his death, his burial and resurrection is for us today to transform how we live on this earth today so that we can be imitators of God as dear children walk in love. I can walk in love now because the greater one, the Father, lives in me. I can walk in forgiveness now because my elder brother is Jesus Christ and I share his DNA and his very spirit. All I have to do is look in the word of God and see how he acted, see how he walked in the spirit, see the miracles he did, and he turns around, looks me in the face and says, now Jeff, Go and do likewise. In fact, greater work shall you do because I'm going back to the Father. So I'm going to fill you and the whole body of Christ with my spirit. And what only I could do as one man in a geographical location in three and a half years of ministry now is going to multiply all over the face of the earth through the body of Christ. Men and women filled with my spirit, born again, who have the Father's DNA, who will be able to act like I act, do the things that I did, perform the miracles I did. Wherever they are, all over the face of the earth. Mm, boy, I wish you were Pentecostal. This is the... Oh, there's just times I wish that I was preaching to a group of Pentecostals. Amen. Amen. No, 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 no.
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, from Rotherham's translation, quote, And walk in love, even as the Christ also loved you and delivered himself up in your behalf, an offering and a sacrifice unto God. Jesus set me aside stepped in my place and said, God, here I am. I will be the offering. I will be the sacrifice in Jeff's place. Take me. He did that for you and me. And then said, everybody who believes that and confesses me as Lord will experience a transformational power from on high coming into you and and not just helping you be a good Christian. This is not behavioral modification, which is how most Christians live. I mean the living, resurrected Jesus by his spirit under the command of the creator of the universe comes into you does an exchange of your dead spirit for his spirit. And the Bible says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you become a new creation, a species that never existed before that moment. That's why you're not just a follower or a friend. You're an imitator. You're a child. You're a son. Now, get this. He says, now, you go do the same thing. You go be an offering and a sacrifice for other people who don't get this message yet, who haven't been transformed, who are struggling in their life. Be an imitator of God. Be an imitator of your elder brother Jesus. You go out into the world and you do what Jesus did for you. Bless. Have grace. Let people always feel a safety in the midst of your conversation. Forgive, love. You be an offering and a sacrifice unto God for people that haven't yet experienced redemption. In the mind of God, they're redeemed. Jesus does not have to die again. He died once for all. The blood he put on that heavenly altar was once for all. It's done. And everybody in your life family, friend, neighbor, co-worker, in the heart and mind of God, they're already redeemed. They just haven't heard the gospel yet. And he's given that to us. He's given that responsibility to you and me. And so he says, go. You go. People have been praying for 2,000 years. Lord, Father in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Help me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in... What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no big mystery to the kingdom. The kingdom's very simple. The kingdom is God's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, watch this. Either God's been answering that prayer of his kids for 2,000 years or he lied and we've just been praying the Lord's Prayer by root. All right? 
And God's just kind of been holding us out there to dry, waiting for this mystical time someday when Jesus will return and the church will be raptured and caught up and we'll go away with Jesus while the rest of the earth burns up and everybody else is cremated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I have salvation. I'm your child. Woo! I'm going to go in the rapture. Hallelujah. And not be cremated when God, bam, smashes this earth and takes everybody out. Whoo, what a theology. Praise the Lord. Man, that's a good gospel to share with people. That'll turn a life around. <laughs> you better receive him today or you're going to be crispy <laughs> and not crispy cream. No, he said, you go out, and in the safety of conversation, you do for other people what Jesus did for you. You love them, you forgive them, you be an offering, and you be their sacrifice. You insert yourself. When you see somebody who's dripping with sin, somebody whose life is a mess, you don't judge them. You don't say or preach, you need to change. You go and cover them. You go and bless them with your words. You go and mingle with them and be around them and, and let the presence of Almighty God that's upon you bring an influence to them. And you start relationships, sincere ones, where you really love. And I promise you out of that presence, that relationship of trust, they're going to ask you, what is that in your life? <laughs> what is that? that causes you to have that kind of joy and peace. I see you going through some of the same things I go through. I see your family struggling in some of the same things that I struggle with from time to time. But it's different for you. What is that? Now hold on, because what I'm about to say I think is going to rock your world. Heaven invading this earth, per the Lord's prayer that he taught us to pray, is the only way we're going to find solutions to the kind of things that are in the headlines of the papers today. It's not getting together, grabbing hands and singing Kumbaya. How long did we last after the nation came together around Year 2001, when, when September 9th happened, 2011, uh, September 11th, when we had those planes fly into the buildings. And the nation joined hands together and sang kumbaya, let's be kind to be, let's be kind to one another, let's believe again. And churches were filled. <laughs> and we're living in one of the worst times in the marketplace and society today filled with humanism, filled with evil that we've ever been in, post 9-11. Why? Because only heaven invading earth will bring the kind of solution to mankind that we're all looking for. And you know where heaven is going to invade earth? Through you. In your relationships with your neighbors. Quit taking just each other out. Get over that. Come on. Quit calling each other to go out on Friday night. Walk over to your neighbors. Introduce yourself. 
tell them you'd like to go to dinner sometime this next week or two. And pay for it, by the way. <laughs> Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Jesus said it's the greatest command. Next only to thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the key. We think so much about ourselves and so little about our neighbors because we don't take being an imitator seriously. Because if we did, we'd be out there with our neighbors. Yes, even the ones who are fallen, unclean, ugly, and evil, and despicable, we'd be out there with them. We'd be a sacrifice for them. We'd be an offering before God for them, covering their sin, dismissing their sin, sending their sin away, as it were. Jesus said, whoever sin you remit, that sin is remitted. He also said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. <sighs> We've got to stop. We've got to stop. How are you supposed to be loving and kind and gentle and good and like Christ to somebody who is so contrary to the gospel? Here's how. John chapter 3 verse 17. Here's what Jesus did. For God so loved the world that he gave, verse 16, loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, help me, that whosoever, come on, church, believeth in him should not perish but will have. And the next verse, watch, the next verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So why are you keeping track? Why are you calling people to repent and change their behavior when God himself has already reconciled them in Christ? They just don't know it. Mm. Okay, we're going to close, really. But I need to tell you something. Even that shooter this week that took nine lives, God's attitude towards that young man did not suddenly change when he took nine people out. Do you know God loves him the same today? as before he pulled the trigger? Do you know that young man, as despicable and heinous as what he did was, is in no different position today than he was before he pulled the trigger in God's heart and mind? Now, because of what he did, there are social ramifications, and he may lose his life because of it. But God still has reconciled him to Jesus, already done. And so family members this week, he got to appear before family members and family members, listen to this, got to forgive him. Do you, do you realize what a revelation of God's love that is? For family members to stand on the other side of that mirror and say, we forgive you. 
What is that when you do that? You are offering yourself as a sacrifice for somebody who doesn't deserve it. Just like Jesus did. Some of the family members said, I pray that God will have mercy on your soul. Wrong. God's already had mercy on his soul. God's already redeemed him in Christ. But he didn't know it. He didn't understand the DNA that was available to him. The life change and transformation had he turned his heart to God. In fact, he may have done that earlier in his life. But he wasn't discipled. Do you understand how important this thing is? This is life or death, dear ones. This is life or death. All right. When you go home today, I'm giving you an assignment. It's the bob at the bottom of your handout. Listen to me. When you catch yourself acting or sounding like a foreigner, reverse it. Declare, I'm redeemed from the orphan lifestyle. I'm a son. Because I share my Heavenly Father's DNA, I act in love, forgiveness, and faith. Every time you catch yourself this next week acting like an orphan, reverse it. Number two, practice calling out the best in other people and blessing them through your spirit priesthood and influence. I love what Peter Young, one of Denver's most wonderful and best beloved, most beloved preachers here in town said recently in a message that I was listening to. I was so impressed I called him. He said, Jeff, you're free to use that in a message. I said, I'm going to. It'll wind up in a message in this series, I promise you. Here's what Peter said in a recent message. Quote, the presence of God on me will shift reality. End quote. not an accident that we have the neighbors that we have. It's not an accident we have the friends that you've put us around. It's not an accident we have the relatives that we have. It's not an accident we are where we are. By your hand, I ask you for a revelation today of our priesthood. I ask you for a revelation that the presence of your spirit in us changes the reality around us and that we can be an offering we can be a sacrifice for people who don't yet know you Josiah Singh let's stand